let us know. Thank there you. you go, recording in progress. So we're in, we're in James chapter two, and we're headed towards the end of it. We're just going to start in verse 14. My guess is we won't get all the way. Call me, call me a surprise, but uh, let's do this. Let's read through the 19th verse just to kind of give us a, a head start. In verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Uh, by the way, there the implication is no, it can't. Um, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. But some may say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds and I'll show you my faith uh, by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Uh, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. Let's leave it there. Um, if there is a key doctrine in all of scripture, the key doctrine would be that faith is the key doctrine to the Christian life. Uh, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are you saved, have you been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, lest any man should boast. That So sinners are saved by faith. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, We live by faith and not by sight. So a believer must walk by faith. Um, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then in Romans uh, 14, verse 23, it says, But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he eats not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So Apart, we anything we do, whatever we do, apart from faith, is considered sin, according to Romans 14, verse 23. Now, what is how do we define faith? Obviously, Hebrews 11 gives us that that definition. Faith is the uh, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And well, someone coined a phrase, and I thought this was pretty good. I wish I knew who did it, but it says here that uh, faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequences. Let me say that again. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequences. How often are we asked to do something in faith regardless of what we think about it or regardless of the response that other people might have? Faith is not a nebulous feeling that we have that, you know, when that we work up to or a faith is a confidence that we believe that God's word is true. It's conviction that's acted on uh, the is acting on what the word is said and is willing to understand that he, he will bless us as a result of that. Mm. <laughs> So let me ask you a couple of questions, and we'll bring this back. These are maybe I should save these questions for for Thursday. I don't know, but what kind of faith truly saves a person? What kind of faith? Yeah, what kind of faith is it true? Does it take to really to really save a person? Is it necessary to perform good works in order to to be saved? 
And then how can a person tell whether or not he's exercising true faith? Well, I believe there are at least three kinds of, of faith and only one of them is truly saving faith. Now, I don't know if I can get my, my camera to do this. I got to switch cameras. So let me see. Uh, we'll go over to this one. There we go. And then I'm going to try to get turn and zoom in. And I, and I still got a problem with my light. So I don't know if you can see that. But I've, I, I'm, I'm going to thank Warren Wiersbe in advance. I'm going to claim this is not mine. This is his. I thought it was a good thing. Three kinds of faith. There's dead faith. There's demonic faith, which we end, ended our reading about with that. And there's dynamic faith. And as we go through this, this chapter, these three, uh, the, this verse, verses from 14 through 26, we're going to be looking at dead faith, demonic faith, and dynamic faith. Today, we're going to start with dead faith. If we're lucky, we'll get through it and maybe get into demonic faith. But anyhow, we'll talk about dead faith. So let me see if I can get back to me. There I am. Okay, so um, even the even the early church, there were those that claimed that they had saving faith, yet they didn't possess salvation. The question is, how do you know if your faith is counterfeit or not? Because remember, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, that's the one who gets to enter heaven. So just because you acknowledge him, you know, the problem so often is that dead faith substitutes words for deeds. We talk about it. We never do anything about it. Well, we can talk a big story. I can talk a great story, but it doesn't mean that I truly have faith if I don't act upon my faith. And the way that you look at that is often their walk doesn't measure up to their talk. You know, it's something about you, you got to walk the walk. You got to, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. That's basically what they're saying here. They think their their words are uh, are equal to good deeds, but that's not the case. And, 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 and you remember in James chapter 2, verse 16, we used to make a joke about this, especially on Thursdays. We were at Panera Bread, and I remember Jim McCallum used to really like when I say this. Yeah, I say, be warmed and filled. And that, that's, the, that's the King James, obviously. Um, but the idea is that if all you do is say that, but you have the means to help and you don't, what good is it what you've done? It's kind of like when we say, I'll pray for you. And of course, then we never do. Sometimes we talk about, we talk words and we're really good. It's really easy, especially as we start to become more co connected to our Christian faith. For us to, to talk, the, to use all the right words, you know. Oh, I'll be praying for you, brother. And then you totally forget all about it. It's one of the reasons why I write down prayer requests. So it, helps, it helps me remember, because you, know, um, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago uh, Romans fourteen. I can remember, forget the verse. Twenty three, uh, I think it was. Uh, all work if any works that do not come from faith are evil. Or I mean, sin, not necessarily evil, but sin. Yeah. <clears throat> 
because there are some great uh, humanists that aren't necessarily um, uh, followers of Christ that do great, um, great works yeah. for the poor, the needy, etc. But at the end of the day, do we consider that sinful? At the end of the day, what God considers it is it doesn't get them into heaven. You know, if as a believer, we were told we have to do things in faith, believing. The very first thing that a, that a, that a man, you know, a man can do good things in this world. That doesn't make him saved. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, um, it's the cart before the horse. You know, and some people do good works just because they think that that's the way they, they, that's the way they, they believe. They believe they should be doing good for the world. And, then, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great in and of itself. But that's not going to when you stand before God and, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, well, look at all the stuff I've done, Lord. But to, to, to Gary's point. I mean, that Romans expression uh, phrase seems to say that. Uh, if it isn't from faith, it's sin. Yeah, you got to remember. I, I it's, have a little, it's, you're I have a little with, problem with that. I mean, if someone does something good, but maybe not out of con- faith, but just for some other reason, I mean, how is that sin? Let's take it in context, okay? <clears throat> it's always always a good idea to take things in context. First of all, who is who is Paul writing to? Is he writing to sinners or is he writing to believers? Believers. Believers. So <clears throat> right away, when we talk about humanists and people that, you know, that are not, that are not believers, that's fine. They can do, you know, it's great that if they do good works, it's great that they are humanists and they're interested in helping people. That's, that's wonderful. But that, that, that alone is not going to save them. And in this particular passage in Roman 14, we're talking about here the principle of doing things uh, in doubt or doing things in belief. And the, uh, the object here is uh, specifically in Romans 14, we're talking about um, uh, meat that's been offered to idols. Should you eat meat that's been offered to idols? It, and you can apply this to anything in your life. It doesn't have to necessarily be meat that's been offered to idols, but and that's what it is in this particular passage. And the idea is this, if I choose to do something but I'm not sure if God wants me to do it or I should be doing it. The fact that I've chosen not to, the, cho- the fact that I've chosen to go ahead and do it without knowing whether it's, a, it's all right with him, I'm basically sinning. And the reason for that is, the reason for that is, remember, let's, let's assume I flip a coin. Heads, it's sin. Tails, it's not sin. But I don't know. So I'm flipping ahead. I'm flipping a coin to make my choice. God says that's not right. Don't flip a coin on uh, on cho- choosing whether or not something you do is a sin or not. If you don't know for sure that you can do it in faith, believing that it's not a sin, then you sh- then you shouldn't do it. <clears throat> so, um, you know, there are going to be times when God has not revealed something to you that maybe later in your life He reveals to you is a sin. So you choose at that point not to do it. What you've been doing is sinning by omission versus sinning by commission, but only because you didn't know. Do you so, think you have to, sorry. Go ahead. 
do you think you have to include the point of view that you know somebody who's not a believer doesn't really yeah. understand sin, sin in yeah, the first place so yeah yeah from our perspective they might be sinning but it's not relevant to them because they don't well, they're already right in the center, right? Yeah, I, you right. know, it's like I used to tell my kids. It was easy sending them to a pagan to a to a public school because you could say all the teachers were pagans. Now they weren't. There were some that were believers, but the issue is, you don't expect a pagan to do things for the right reason, do you? No. Morals kind of make that a little indiscernible. Yeah. Yeah, you know I mean, so, so it's intent. Yeah, in this particular, it's intent. The issue is, the issue is not how close to the cliff can I get without falling off. The question is, how close to God do I get so I don't fall off? So yeah, you're right, Gary. We're we're speaking specifically here of for believers, not not non-believers. And remember, there's going to come a time when, remember the passage in, in Matthew where it says, you know, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do amazing miracles? Look at all the things we did for you. And he's going to say what? I never knew you. Yeah, depart from me. Get out of here. I never knew you. So the issue isn't whether or not we do it, we do good works. Because there are people that are going to be performing miracles that God's going to say, yeah, sorry, not, in, not entering my kingdom. You're not part of my family. So if you're not a family member, it, it, this, this is immaterial. The very first thing you got to understand, whatever, you're, not, you're a sinner. And the only way you can come to God is through what? Christ. Christ. And that comes by believing. Faith. faith. Remember, faith is a noun. Believing is a verb. There is no noun for, there is no verb for faith. Oh, I faithed him. <laughs> There's no verb in the English language for faith. There isn't a, a so the issue, belief, right? Okay. So dead faith, does that, does that help? Does that help clarify? Yeah. Although I do sometimes, I, I wonder if people that do, uh, good works or a lot of good works if they do not profess to be a Christian. Uh, what is it that motivates them? I, I wonder, is the Holy Spirit working in a subtle way with these people? Very uh, possible. Because uh, a lot of times the things they do, they're not self-serving. Uh, True. Uh, they don't seem to be conforming to the world and its normal way of things. Remember, but, God, uh, God's trying to meet all needs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Our issue is how he meets those can be different. He might choose to use somebody who is an altruistic kind of person. You know, whether or not we believe that um, um, Bill Gates is a, uh, a, a, a good guy or a bad guy depends on how much money he throws our way, right? Or, or he, he creates a foundation and gives up, what, about half of his, his wealth, supposedly, something like that. Uh -huh. Prior to that, if you go back 20, 30 years, he was one of the most hated men in America. <laughs> you know, now he's considered a good guy. He's philanthropic. Well, that's great, but that's not going to, that, that in and of itself is not going to get them to heaven. What he's gets a guy that I think over the years, he's uh, softened his stance. I think he used to be an atheist and now he 
if he ever comments on it, he talks about being agnostic, which <laughs> some ways is almost worse. But <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's when you, you actually can't make a decision. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're kind of, yeah, I'm neither fish nor fowl. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or maybe he's a mugwomper. Maybe that's what a, maybe that's what an agnostic is. Person who has their mug on one side of the fence and their womp on the other. Same. All right. So the, the issue here comes down to people with dead faith substitute words for deeds. Just because and just because you do deeds does again also doesn't necessarily make you a believer. But here's the issue. When I say to someone, be warm and filled, and I don't do anything to help them, when I have the means to do so, I'm sinning. It's like when you've been, you know, when you've been asked to, to live open-handedly. There are times when God says, don't do something. Well, then don't do it. But if he, he, if he says, he lays it on your heart and you choose not to do it, and you're, what you're doing is basically you're disobeying him. Not even basic. Listen, the food and clothes are basic needs for every human being, right? Whether they're saved or unsaved. Would we agree with that? Yes. Yeah. So um, it says, in having food and raiment, in 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, let us be without, you know, let us be there, there with content. If we've got food, we've got clothes, learn to be content. Um. It, it, that echoes what Jesus says in this that wonderful Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember? Therefore, let no one uh, take no thought to say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knows you have needs of all these things. That's pretty interesting. I just uh, finished a biography on the Wright brothers and, and their father was a, was a preacher. And one of his favorite sayings was, uh, all that you need is just enough to keep you from being a burden on other people. That's, that's good. In terms of, you know, stuff, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think we can probably all admit that we can get, a, get along with a lot less stuff than we have. My wife's been doing a, uh, an amazing job of getting rid of stuff by selling it for pennies on the dollar, you know, on the marketplace and eBay and so forth. We're realizing we don't really need all this stuff, but so we're trying to down, trying to, to minimize what we have. Of course, if you look at behind me, you'll realize that I'm having a hard time getting rid of my library. So far, I'm <laughs> not all that interested in that. But um, one of these days, I'm sure I will be. In fact, I'm trying to figure out, I need to call and talk to my the company that has my digital library and see what can happen if I decide to, if I were to die, can I will it to somebody? Hmm. You know, I spent all this money on it. it would be, it'd be a shame to let it go to waste. But yeah, all right. So um, I think uh, Galatians, as Galatians 6.10 says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those who are in the household of faith. Matthew 25, 40 says, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of these least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Remember, Jesus says, Well, wait, you know, you took care of me when I was uh, blind and I was poor and I was ne I needed a drink and I was a prisoner. And he says, Well, when did we see all of that, Lord? Well, when you did it to the least of these. 
So as believers, I think we are obligated to help meet needs of people, no matter who they may be or why we run into them, perhaps. Um, <clears throat> to help a person in need is, to, is, is an expression of love, and faith works by love. Galatians uh, 5, 6 says, uh, I'll, John says in his, in his uh, first epistle, says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Hmm. Uh, take for an example the, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, there's a, a priest and a Levite that walk by a guy that's beaten up that's also a fellow Jew on the side of the road. And uh, they don't do anything to help. Then a, a Samaritan comes along and helps. Well, I think if you looked at the two guys that passed by and didn't assist the potential, the guy that was potentially dying, what you could say is they're, they would be willing to defend their faith and they'd fight for it. But they weren't willing to demonstrate that faith in loving works. You know, I was raised in a, in, a, in a group of believers that were trained to fight for their faith defend the faith you know they they had a uh, a uh, fortress mentality and they were constantly on the defensive but never on the offensive or very rarely on the offensive and the problem with with that is that uh, you know James says can that kind of faith save him what kind of faith well those that, that never practice any kind of physical you know any kind of works, and probably works is a bad choice. Maybe deeds would be better. What uh, what does that fortress? What did you call it? Fortress mentality. Fortress mentality, yeah. For, or sometimes. What does that mean in today's world? I'm I'm not. I don't quite get it. I mean, what did they do? Well, they pretty much were always on the defense of everything was being. They were being attacked on all sides, and so they would always be defending their faith. To the point of, of saying, you know, they would be fighting. They ended up fighting over molehills, if you will, versus mountains. You know, they were defending their faith. They were afraid to do anything that would, uh, they didn't want to compromise their faith, nor did they want to, um, they thought everyone was attacking them. And they had to, they had to, they had to, they had to defend God's word for him. God doesn't need it. God doesn't need us to defend him. You ever thought about, oh, I need to fight for God? No, not really. The way you fight for God is how. How do we fight for God according to Ephesians 6? A living form. Living form. How do we live for him? What are the two what all of the offense all of the weapons we have are defensive, but we have two offensive weapons. What are those? Prayer and the word. And the word, the word. yeah. So what we need to do is, is like Jehoshaphat of old. Remember Jehoshaphat? He was the king of Judah. And, he, uh, and this is after uh, the split of the two kingdoms. He's asked by Israel to go into battle. He chooses, and, uh, you know, but he, he's not sure if he should go into battle. And one of the priests, one of the workers in the, in the, uh, in the temple says to him, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, uh, 
uh, go out and put the singers in the front of the battle, which I always thought was kind of strange. Why would you put the band and the singers in the front? Because they were going to praise the Lord as they went into battle. And the reason is the battle is not yours. It's mine. God says. The battle belongs to me. So we pray. We use scripture. We use our words and if necessary. But when we come, when it comes to battle, we allow God to do the battle. He's a lot bigger than, you know, it's, it's kind of the old... In Old Testament times, the way that, you know, one of the reasons that each country would fight against each other is they each had their own gods. Their gods were limited to a particular place. And they would always be bragging. Remember I used to brag? Maybe you didn't brag about your dad. But maybe you bragged about your, my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad can do that better than your dad. That's kind of what the nations did. My God's bigger than your God. My God can take your God on. Let me tell you. And then depending on how the battle went, Depends on who's who's got one and, and who has the bragging rights. That's what Elijah was doing, right? They were having a oh. big uh, competition with the uh, all those, of the bulls or all something. Those <laughs> Baal, yeah. Oh yeah. The Baal. Yeah, he he let me tell you something. That I mean that that's a you know, my God's bigger than your God. Look at this, man. My God can call fire down from heaven, which is exactly the, what their God was supposedly capable of doing. He was a god of, of uh, rain and, and thunder. Yeah, you have a God that that if anyone should be able to call lightning down from the sky, it ought to be the you know that particular God. God says, "Yeah, I don't think so." <laughs> so the issue is that faith has to have works, at least from this perspective. Not only does it work vertically, but it horizontally. The way that you can, the way that others can know that we have works, that we have faith, is that we have works. Uh, John Calvin, even John Calvin said, uh, "Faith alone, it's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Faith alone is that what justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone." It cannot be by itself. True saving faith can neither, neither be by itself. It must always bring life, and life always produces good works. A person with dead faith is only an, is basically just an intellectual experience where we can talk about God, um, but we never do anything. He knows the doctrines of salvation, but he's never submitted himself to God or trusted Christ for salvation. He knows all the right words. But he doesn't back up his words with with works, and faith in Christ brings life. John three sixteen says what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, perish but have, have everlasting life. Have life. Have life. Life. Life is not supposed to be. Uh, now I have to admit I would probably rather sit and read a book all day than do almost anything else that's just you know but for me that's that's my enjoyment but faith according to james chapter 2 verses 17 20 and 26 says faith without works is dead what does that mean how do we true how do we prove that we have how do we know that we have eternal life 
there was a parable that Jesus taught that I think demonstrates it really well. The parable of the sower and the seed. In fact, it's it's found in Matthew. It's found in all th- it's all through the Synoptic Gospels. So it must have been fairly important since all three of them have it. But uh, if we were to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 13 and read it. Uh, Jesus says a parable. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it had uh, not much soil and sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell in good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or even 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. What does that mean? I say it's basically that the, the word, if it's implanted in proper places, will bring results. Yeah. The true test of faith. Do you want to know whether or not you have saving faith? Are you producing fruit? That's the issue. Remember, if it falls on the path and, and basically it's trodden down and, and it can't get into the ground. Remember, you, when you, my wife recently was going out, she, bless her heart, she decided there were some spots in her grass that needed to be reseeded. So she put seed down and she, she cultivated the soil a little bit around it. Then she put some topsoil on top of it. Why? Because it needs to be able to, if it's just, lays on, on hard packed soil isn't gonna isn't gonna germinate. And then there's some other soil that that had just a little bit of you know the seed fell on soil that was that was rocky underneath it. So even though it springs up and it shows like it's got life, it doesn't last. Why? Because there's no place for it to root. The third one is it, it plants, but there are a lot of weeds. Have you ever had grass that gets choked out by weeds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, you know, are all of those things seed been planted? Yes. Have all of them started to, in two places out of the three, they've started to germinate, but they didn't do the, they didn't go all the way. What's the final aspect of whether or not you were planted in good soil? You brought forth fruit. The only, the thing that troubles me about this parable is that uh, the production of good fruit is not the fault of the sower or the seed. It's just this random event of where they happen to fall. Uh, were you mm-hmm. lucky enough to fall in good soil or unlucky enough to fall on the rocky stuff? Um, that's odd. Feels odd. So how, how do we, how do, how is the soil prepared? Well, in this case, a lot of areas, there is no preparation. They just happen to fall in a bad spot. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's more to it than that. I think that yeah. just throwing out the seed is only part of it. And if you don't like uh, water it and, and grow the work, it's not really going to set. Good. You know, if you just Good. occasionally throw, tell somebody, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah about God, it may or may not help them. But if you see them again, it's another opportunity to continue building on that foundation. 
Yeah, so it's it's prepar- who who by the way, who brings somebody to Christ? Who brings God. somebody into the kingdom? God does. The Holy Spirit, <laughs> yeah. right? The Holy Spirit must prepare the soil. Right. It's kind of like, well, now they do, they drill and they drop seeds in. But back in the day, uh, who was it? I can't remember the, the singer talked about um uh, Oh, he was a guitarist. And I can't think of his name. And he talks about the basically talks about a plow pan. So, you know, he asked for the Holy Spirit to dig down and, and break up the soil of his of his life. There reaches a point where if all you do is constantly plow at the same level, you create a hard surface underneath the, the, the loose soil. So occasionally to get into the good soil down below, you've got to drop the plow lower. So it breaks up the plow pan. And the song said something about, uh, you know, Lord, uh, dig down into the, my, you know, the my heart and break up the hard soil of my heart. So why? So that the seed can take place and and grow. And and even in even as believers, there are times when we hear something so often we never allow the Holy Spirit to water us and and soften the soil. You ever tried to plant seed without it being wet? You got to keep wet, wetting it down, right? Why? So it gets nutrients from the sun and from the water. So yeah, one of the, is, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, one other thing I was going to say was, you, it, <clears throat> seed doesn't always grow anywhere. Sometimes yeah. it just won't take. You, you, you know, you try and you make it work, but if it's not going to work there, it's not going to work there. Hmm. You know what I mean? And people have to. That's true of people's lives, isn't it? Sometimes, right. and the only way that they get that, that that can that can that can change is circumstances happen in such a way that God says, "Okay, I can now work with that person. I can plant seed, and it'll it'll stay, and has a better chance of germinating." The issue is, you know, how well is our is the soil been prepared, and how how much are we fighting our soil being prepared? So well, you would you would ask you would ask if I don't know if you remember this because it's been a while, but you asked um, how do you know if we have eternal life? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm hoping because I hearken yeah. back to what you say. We got we you never know we may have only got this much right. True, true. But when God says I've written this so that you'll know, I've written this so you'll know. He says in John. But with the with the confusing parables, do we really have it right? Oh, I think I think so. Okay. Not trusting by faith. Here's the here's the issue. Do you have <laughs> fruit? Now, what is fruit? Maybe that's what we should ask. I wasn't really prepared to go this direction, but okay. Well, let's go. Ahead. Well, you asked the question. I didn't know if it was a rhetorical question. I was like, you know. I'm glad you asked it. How how do you know? Do you feel? Do you feel the tug of God in your heart? I think so. That's a good sign. The fact that you're even questioning. I, I have a I have this one couple uh, that I, I deal with, and um, they're back from uh, Illinois. Or actually, they're in, in yeah, they're you know, I guess in Illinois, St. Louis. Um, and the wife is always concerned about whether or not she's a believer. I said, the very fact that you're concerned is probably evident of the fact that your heart is soft towards God. 
Now, what is fruit? How do we know that we have fruit? What is what are some of the things that, that are, is fruitful? Peace, long suffering, the Galatians, the fruits of the Galatians, fruits. sure, fruit, Galatians fruit is the a spirits. great one. Yeah, fruit, fruit of the spirits. What, are there, is there other fruit? Well, how you treat other people, the way you talk. I mean, the way James talked okay. in chapter one about the tongue. You know, how do yeah. you speak to people? How do we're, you we're gonna get that in chapter three again too? Yeah, yeah, we didn't get beat up enough on it already. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, help bringing someone to Christ. Being an evangelist is is a, is a way of being fruitful. Does that is that the only kind of fruit? No. There are some people that say it is, but no, that's not that's not true. Yeah, but as uh, I think that our our works and the way we treat people uh, is our greatest evangelistic tool. People take note of that. Yes. Outside the faith. And yes. it gives them pause and they ask questions. Uh, it can be one of the best things we do. <clears throat> it's important, though, to think about, remember, Romans was written to basically define sin in its entirety. It gives you three classes of people that kind of help you. And none of those were saved, but they're all, all can be saved. Talks about the pagan man, mm -hmm. creation thing the next one's a moral man, because I worked with a guy that was a Mormon. Everybody talked about how well his, he lived his faith. That's not good enough. And the mm -hmm. third one, Paul uses the most extreme example. He uses a Jew. He says, none of these people are really saved. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? The Jew yeah. does it by religious works. The moral man does it by deeds. The pagan man just, the creation itself will condemn him and so that's why he has that's why romans is written to kind of explain what it takes to be faith and it goes into abraham the first one that lived by faith yep yeah, yeah in fact we're going to be looking at abraham as we get into the end of this chapter we're going to be looking at abraham and and, and uh, uh rahab um so in my in my definition of eternal life from jesus perspective was to know the Father, that mm, is eternal good. life. That's we, eternal life. Everybody's going to live for eternity, yeah. but eternal life is in the Father. Yeah, and and that living in eternal eternal living is is yeah you know we're we're going to exist. I'm not sure you know spiritual life is being with right. the Father. Right. You but know? I'm saying that it it talks about yeah everybody's we're going to be someplace forever. Right. And everybody's going to be judged one way or the other. We're going to be judged for good works or deeds, whatever. The yeah. non-believers are going to be judged by two books, the books, books of works, one of good, one of bad. And they, you know, and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's, I'm not that bright, but anyway. But <laughs> so. Well, some have said this, faith without works is faith in name only. And again, I would I would venture to say if you remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says what? You've been saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Right. That's eight and nine, but ten says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? His works. To do good works, which by the way, God has prepared in advance for us to do. So God has a plan. God the plans for us to do good stuff. The other thing, too, it's important to remember, it's line by line. 
<laughs> you start at the be you start at the beginning of the book, but it's line by line. And he makes that point that you don't learn all of it all of it once. It's like yeah. an ongoing eternal process, a line by line. I, that's my best way I can describe it from what it what it, I seem to see. Line by line, precept by precept. In other words, yeah, you, it's a process. You, yeah, you mentioned that sometimes people like the example you gave that one time, the guy that's, I don't beat my wife, but I still look at pornography. Yeah. From him, from him he's fine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, but maybe somewhere down the road, he'll go, well, the reason you beat your wife is maybe because of what you're doing. Listen, but he hasn't yeah. come to that place yet. Yeah. But do you throw him away? Not necessarily. No, you what just if... continue to work with him. Again, we're a work in progress. There, there's an old uh, children's song that says, says, God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. So Val, you know, yeah. James talks about uh, faith without works. What, what does the, the Bible say about works without faith? Works without faith. Works without faith pretty much says, yeah, you're not getting there, but you know, that's, look, that's, Lord, Lord, haven't I done all these things in your name? That's the moral man. That's our moral man, right? It's not Maybe. by the it's not by the works. It's by the blood of Christ that we're even saved at all. Yeah, right. the gift that's, of God. Yeah. Yep. Lest, lest I'll boast, because yeah. you know me, I'm going to boast, and we still boast. Yeah. And Paul says it's okay to boast, but how, 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 what can we boast about? About God, about what Christ has done, about who Christ is. About the fact that my God's bigger than your God. Just saying. So the issue here is are we doing, what are we doing to help others become? Uh, in need. Uh, by the way, they're always going to be poor people. They're just people that God, just like there have been people that God created that have the Midas touch. You know, everything they touch turns to gold. My dad had a friend like that. I swear this man, everything this man tried to do, everything he did in business always worked out unbelievable. He left a legacy to his 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 family. It just blew me out of the water. This guy was a dirt poor farm, a dirt poor farmer when he started he ended up owning a dozen farms he owned a retail a chain of retail stores yeah <laughs> <laughs> he just had this knack of being able to make money there are other people that can't make money to save their life and he'll be judged on what he was given yeah he will what is what does Jesus tell us about? There are two parables. One one's about right. the pounds. One's about the talents. And I always get right. confused as to which is which. But in one case, God gives someone five, another one three, and another one one. Yeah. And he says, "Go and or I mean, it's one. It's five, two, and one. I think it is." And he says, "Go and and uh, you know." And so some the guy that has five, he gets five more. And the guy that has two gets two more, and the guy that has one goes and buries it in the, in the, you know, in the in the dirt and digs it up when the when the master comes back, and he goes, uh, the guy says, you know, the you that five, well, I'm going to reward you with five more five cities. 
And the guy that has uh, two, he gets two cities. And the guy that has one gets nothing. In fact, his, his <laughs> gift down. is given to the guy that has five. Why? Because God gave them the ability to be able to do that, do something. to be able to do well. You know, you, each of us has has abilities that God's given us. To do. On the other hand, the other parable says He gave them all the same amount, and one guy has five, and one guy has two, and one guy only still has one. What's the difference? Well, the difference is that they were able to use. They were given the same talents. They were given the same abilities. They were given the same chances, but one guy worked harder, one guy worked a little bit, and one guy did no work at all. So. Yeah, there, there is a sense to which God chooses to give us abilities. I am not an engineer, not, not in my skill level. I'm not sure that I'm good at much of anything. It, it, it maybe maybe talking, then sometimes I'm not too sure. <laughs> Motivational speaker. There you go. Yeah. Prevagen. But the issue is that God gave each of us abilities. God wants us to use those abilities to the best of our ability with the opportunities that God provides us. Amen. And in this case, there are going to be some people that are just born and just, just will never, never be beyond their abilities because that's the way God created them. Now, there are others that choose to be poor just because they don't want to work. That's a whole different story. We're not, you know. So our issue is there when there are people that are in need, we need to reach out to them. But Paul also warns us, make sure they're in need. They're in need, you know, just because somebody is, God says, Paul says, if they refuse to work, don't let them, don't, then they don't eat. Now the issue becomes, the struggle for us is when someone is a, a father or a mother and they're, you know, a single parent maybe, or, or two parents, and they choose not to work, but their kids suffer from it. So sometimes we end up helping a, the parent, right? Because we're trying to help the kid. But the issue is help those who are in need. That's one of the ways we prove that we're a follower of God. All right. We're reached the end of our recording. I will turn this off and it will now tell us.